John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, good afternoon, Todd. How are you today? We're doing just fine. Unfortunately, we don't have Greg with us, but hey, that doesn't mean we're going to have a bad show. I think we're going to have a good show today. I think we are too, because we're going to play, play right into an area that you've been active in for a while, and it's a, something that's currently in the news and affects aviation and maybe more than aviation. Uh, one doesn't know, no one knows actually, well, at least no one's talking about uh, about these, uh, what we used to call UFOs event and the effect on aviation. You know, the concern has been for a while that uh, occasionally these things come up to airplanes, circle around them, you know, and the potential for pilots making a, a mistake making evasive action and putting the airplanes in gyrations that they're not structurally uh, uh, capable of handling. You know, there's so, so many bad things that can happen to a pilot if he, if he takes a vast, a very aggressive evasive action because something's going on around him that he's not familiar with. And the fact that these, these events are coming out into the open, finally, after all these years, instead of a uh, government telling us that uh, these individuals are crazy. Now that's coming back saying that, you know, they're not crazy and that there's a lot of unexplained things that happen in aviation that the government is aware of and they haven't been talking about. But now it's breaking out into the open and uh, we we want to walk through this and not from the perspective of what you see with UFOs, uh, maybe on the on TV, made for TV specials or whatever, but but the way it affects aviation. And we even talked about this two years ago, back in uh, June of 2021, I think it was episode 75, which for those of you new to the show, that's over 100 episodes ago, which is kind of shocking to me. Um, there had been a report come out from the Office of the Director of Central Intelligence. That's the cabinet level official who oversees the CIA, the NSA, all the intelligence communities. They had a report on UFO UAP reports. They called it something slightly different then. They came up with several conclusions, one of which was UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Now, why is that? 
several reasons. And I won't go into the whole history of what's going on, but I'll just focus on some of the very higher level things that broke through the media consciousness, mainstream media at the time. Uh, back in 2006, there was an event where something was hovering over gate C-17 at Chicago O'Hare, seen by multiple people on the ground, including pilots and mechanics and ground personnel. And it was, uh, there was radio traffic recording of communication with air traffic control about this. And whatever it was sort of uh, went from hovering to punching through the clouds. What it was, no one knows. But one of the things that got me upset about it then was that there was nothing with respect to any sort of report, any sort of analysis from the FAA or anyone else. It's as though this thing didn't exist. And if you believe some of the reports at the time, um, aviation executives, airline executives and whatnot were basically telling the people don't talk about this. So I thought from the obvious perspective of national security, I don't know what this was, who it was, nor do I care. You have something that should not have been hanging over gate C-17 at the one of the biggest, most important airports in the country. And everybody uh, pretended like it was a nothing uh, event. And I thought, if nothing else, a potential adversary would look at this and say, hey, all I have to do is make my whatever look like a flying saucer, and I can waltz right up to any airport in the country. Nobody's going to touch me. So I don't know if the you know, officer of the director of central intelligence was thinking that way, but certainly having been in aviation a while, and of course, most of the audience has uh, either understands very well what went on on 9-11 or lived through that. And 9-11 happened in part because there were adversaries who were doing the unexpected. They saw potential weaknesses, actual weaknesses in the system. Uh, one of them being the assumption that a hijacked airliner was going to be hijacked by somebody who wasn't intent on flying it into a building. And that's exactly what they did. So on the safety of flight issue, like you just mentioned, if you have something unusual happening around you and you do an abrupt maneuver, that is not necessary because there's no actual danger to you. Well, you're putting yourself at excess risk. Now, is there actual danger? Is there not actual danger? Because there is such silence around this, very little in the way of almost zero in the way of official um, investigations, zero in the way of advice given by the FAA as to what to do if you encounter something like this, the potential risk for an aviation accident or an incident is obviously there. You know, that, that I remember that Chicago issue when, it, when the press reported it back in those days. And, and uh, you know, it's always been baffling if the government could ignore it. Sometimes they've actually leaked that there's been radar coverage of some of these strange events and but just the speed that these devices travel and the ability to change direction at high speed almost instantly just it baffles the mind you know, before just, we go further now that you mentioned that there is a you know one of the things that might be confusing and it's confusing to me is what things are defined as now, I grew up hearing about flying saucers and UFOs, unidentified flying objects. For a while, let's say even a couple of years ago, the term of art in the government was UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. But that's even changed. And I'll quote from the latest amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act of 2023, which was put forth by the Senate in the last few weeks. What is the definition of the term UAP? And this is from the amendment. 
Um, there are five definitions they say it used to be called. They used to be called flying disc, flying saucers, unidentified aerial phenomena, unidentified flying objects, UFOs, and unidentified submerged objects, USOs. So the new term, unidentified anomalous phenomena, sort of encompasses things that fly and things that go through the water. And without going into detail, they're having a much broader umbrella. Let's say you have something that rises up from the ocean, shoots through the sky, and goes into space. It's a term called a transmedium vehicle. And uh, some of the UAP reports that have been reported by uh, aviators include things that go from space to the atmosphere, atmosphere to space, the atmosphere to the ocean. So they're casting a wide net. Now, what does this mean practically for people who fly? Look, if it's unidentified and you don't know what it is, doesn't look like weather, doesn't look like space junk, and you're scratching your head thinking, what the heck is it? It's behaving in a way that I don't know. Well, that's a UAP. Now, don't let don't get more complicated than that. Yes. Yes. And pilots, I think, should hold the course unless that uh, and uh, you know, one of these devices are. Uh, this phenomenon uh, comes too close to the airplane, but they shouldn't make wild gyrations. They should fly the airplane in a manner that they normally do, you know, with, with uh, controlled turns and controlled deviations in your altitude. Because that can cause, you know, as we said already, real risk to the airplane if you do uh, panic moves, so to speak. I don't know if that's the right term, but it certainly can fit into this circumstance. So we have comments. Before we go further, you actually said something maybe several dozen shows ago. I think I had a question. In your work with the NTSB, did you ever see any sort of event where there was some sort of mid-air collision you had no idea what the other aircraft was? You said something like there was one, and what you had was sort of like paint from another aircraft or whatever on it. You couldn't identify the other aircraft. So the one time in all the decades you've been in aviation safety, the only mid-air collision you've seen with an unidentified something else was probably with another aircraft. You just couldn't identify it. Right. Well, it still never was identified, and it still has a big question out there. And I'll, I'll read, just touch on what we, what it was. There was a crash in, in uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Mobile Bay. I forget now because it's so long ago, but uh, in the south of the U.S., with a, a small airplane, and we recovered the airplane from the ocean's floor, and there was a there was a smear of paint on the airplane, and we sent that for analysis. The NTSB sent that for analysis, and it came back that it was unlike any paint that we've ever seen before. And that's where the that's where the investigation died because where do you go with that? You know, there, there was a collision that was the cause of the accident but there was something left behind that we could not explain. Now, if you see something coming at you, or you're looking, it looks like you're on an intercepting course at something, there are procedures in place, especially if it's like a nose-to-nose sort of thing. You know, you see the red light on the right, you turn right, they turn right. Well, they'll both avoid each other. That's been standard for decades. There is no standard for the kinds of unusual performance UAPs that have been reported forever. Yes, now, speaking of which, uh, I say forever, 
it's been reported for as long as there have been airplanes, probably before that even. But there was an event in the early 2000s that involved two Navy jets, I think one on the East Coast or several Navy jets, at least one event on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. And there had been some videos floating around um, from an F-18 showing something flying around that was unusual. It was never acknowledged as being real, fake, or whatever. 2017, late 2017, there was a newspaper story in the New York Times which um, featured these videos. And the unusual thing there was the Navy acknowledged that these videos were authentic. They didn't acknowledge that these were unknowns or UAPs or whatever. They just said, look, the videos you're showing there are authentic videos. And fast forward from 2017 to 2023, two of the pilots who had been involved in, or even saw them on their, their screens, um, they actually testified under oath in front of the House of Representatives in front of a hearing, where they basically recapped what was in the story in 2017. But the big thing here was they did it under oath. And I don't know how uh, familiar the audience is with the uh, U.S. laws, but if you swear an oath in front of Congress and you lie, that could put you in jail. So these people's uh, freedom and reputation were on the line, and they basically kept straight to the story they've been saying for years. And it was also another gentleman that same hearing from the Air Force who didn't witness anything but had been involved in understanding what investigations had been going on around government. And apparently in spite of the fact that the government for years said they were not investigating UAPs, there are multiple investigations going on in various parts of the, of the government military, the details of which were not uh, releasable to the public. But he was open enough to say that these things exist. I was investigating them. I'd like to go further under a uh, you know secure situation, but I can't do it in an open hearing. You know, that, that uh, link to the hearing is quite interesting. Uh, would you put that in there? I, I do have a link to the hearing, and I believe there's a full video of the entire hearing. Okay, I think some of our audience might be interested in that. For those of you who have not seen the hearing and who know something about the Congress, this is something that can only happen in fiction before this hearing. Matt Gates, who is well-known on the conservative side of things, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, very known on the left-hand side of things, they were in the same hearing, asking questions, riveting, on point, not political. They were basically on the same team with the same goal at the same time. And if you told me before that these two would be in agreement on anything in front of television cameras, I would have said you're crazy. That was one of the least unusual things about that hearing. But that just shows you that whatever this is, whatever is happening, either from the national security perspective, the safety of flight perspective, or the transparency of government perspective, this is something that is currently of interest at the highest levels of government, currently of interest to the media. And at least from the safety of flight perspective, I would like to see if this could be of interest to the aviation community. And subsequently, is there something, things that we can do as a community to you know, expand the knowledge that we have of these and to uh, put that information out there so we can evaluate it fully? It makes for an interesting, interesting uh, conversation. That's for sure. You know, I, I don't personally. I believe that we're not alone. But uh, you know, people that say they've been taken away by UFOs to some place and then brought back, 
I don't know if I believe all that, but you know, there's not enough facts to go with any of that. But and well, that I, I'm totally in agreement with that perspective in that there's obviously stuff out there. And I'm of the here's what I believe. I believe that there's some unknowns here. Don't know what it is, or if there's any who behind what this thing is. But I do know this is an issue that pilots and other trained personnel are seeing this. And it could lead to people doing things that could put themselves in danger. And also, if they admit that they see this, it could put their careers in danger. And I, I use the example from like the 1950s and 1960s. Um, in the 1950s, when the CIA was developing the U-2 program, and later on the SR-71 program, there were certainly reports from pilots seeing things flying 20, 30,000 feet above their cruising altitude in the stratosphere which was totally unknown to the civilian world at that time. And I'm sure the government had an interest in quashing those things because that was an actual program of the federal government. And even earlier than that, there had been reports of military pilots of seeing, in essence, lightning shooting up from the tops of thunderstorm clouds into the lower reaches of space, which was totally not known to science or understood by science. And for someone in the 50s and 60s who was a top gun military pilot to admit that would put his or her career at risk. Now, comes out later, like 20, 30 years later, it's now very well understood that that happens. But this was a case where this was a natural phenomenon, where the mere reporting of it could put someone's career in jeopardy. And reacting to seeing this could put your aircraft in jeopardy. I look at UAPs, UAPs in the same light. Don't know what it is, but I do know it should be looked at. You know, I, I read through a bunch of those that you sent me. And one of the things I'd like to see is the government develop a set of procedures, much like the NTSB and investigative authorities around the world do, have set of procedures that we all investigate these events in a very similar way. Maybe not mirrored at every location, but at least very similar to collect data in a, a very organized way so that we can start to track multiple events in the same light and maybe uncover certain things. But there I, are actually two current databases that uh, do that to a certain extent. Uh, the one that does, does it the least well is the, um, um, UA, not UAP, but the UAS, um, um, the drone database. If you have some apparent drone that's misbehaving, you can report it to a particular database. Looking through some of those, I see a bunch, especially from military aircraft. Well, I was flying at flight level 320, and I saw this drone going through a restricted military area. Well, I don't know about you, but you can't buy a commercial off-the-shelf drone that can fly 30,000 feet up. And if the military pilots are seeing this, and by the way, some of the reports, they report to law enforcement. Sometimes they don't. My you know, naive thought is, okay, are these drug runners running remote aircraft at high altitude. They're reporting to the law enforcement. But why are they not reporting them in these other cases? Were they just lazy and didn't think about it? Or did the pilots know for sure this was not a drug runner and they didn't call law enforcement because they knew law enforcement didn't have a role in this? Like I said, that is the least decent database because anyone can put in a, a drone report into the UAV database. But ASRS, the Aviation Safety Reporting System, which NASA has run for decades, which is used for many things, including self-reporting when you do an inadvertent violation so that you have it on record. And if the FAA finds that you violated something, but they only find out about it through the NASA database, 
you're not going to be sanctioned. So basically, it's a get out of sanctions free card for pilots and others who accidentally violate a regulation. But within that database are multiple reports, which we'll uh, have samples of on, on the page for the site, uh, from both um, airline pilots and other pilots, where for all intents and purposes, these are UAP reports. They report something that maybe they didn't do an, avert, an evasive action, maybe it didn't damage the aircraft, but they had a straight up report on this. And the reason why I look highly upon these reports is that in order to submit that to the ASRS database, you have to provide NASA with your identification, your certificate numbers, whatever. They de-identify all that. And they've been very good. They've had over well over a million uh, submissions. They've never had a data breach where someone's privacy was, was violated. But in doing so, you're opening yourself up to sanctions from the federal government if you lie. So if you want to be a fool and just joke around and put this in there, your license, your livelihood, and your reputation could be at risk. So when I see something in the ASRS database, I respect it a little bit more than a random report on somebody's website. Yes, and now they're going to open that up for everybody, right? Well, it's opened up now. You can go right now to the ASR, ASRS database and we'll flash the homepage up on the screen for those watching the video. And you can do your own little, uh, you know, internal database search, looking for keywords, looking for locations and times. And I just did some fairly basic searches. I came up with two or three fairly quickly. And I'm sure that there are some in there that are worded in such a way, but they didn't have any trigger words. They didn't use words like UAP or UFO or flying saucer. But for all intents and purposes, they're describing something that makes no sense from a conventional aviation perspective. And one kind of event I didn't see in that database, but one kind of event I think happens is when there's an encounter, whether with a natural phenomenon like a lightning strike or something else, where systems are affected, not just during the flight, but afterwards. So here's where I have to lean on your expertise. In your experience and as a maintenance professional, have you ever come across situations or know people who came across situations where an aircraft had a problem, lightning or whatever, and there was some LRU or other electronic component of the aircraft that malfunctioned and you couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, couldn't figure out how to fix it, and you had to trash it because something happened during the flight and it was screwed up royally after that? Uh, we've had multiple uh, events where an airplane would totally lose electronics in the airplane. All electrical power would go away. And there was nothing the crew could do to bring it back online. And then all of a sudden, it's, they're able to bring it back online, and it's like nothing happened. And there's, there's more than one of those floating around out there with just total electrical failure, and then it comes back. Now, have you ever even heard of where this kind of thing happened? where the crew knew something was happening, but they didn't report it because they didn't want to get into, uh, you know, any sort of issues. You know, I'm, I'm struggling to think about them, but I have had them not write events up in flight that occurred strange. And they'll get you on the ground and say, you know, we had this thing happen, everything went crazy. Uh, but then it settled down and there was nothing. The airplane's flying fucking, you know, it's unexplained. So yes, there are, and that was only my experience. And I'm sure that there's many, many more of those across the country. And you know, if anyone out there is, has uh, 
any experience with some strange events, let us know. Let us know. We're going to continue this this uh, level view, so to speak, of the UFOs. And I'm going to call it UFOs because that's what I remember. <laughs> that's okay. Strange aircraft, the strange things flying in the air, events that, that have occurred over time. Now, if we do this again in the future, uh, one of the events I'd like to go over is one that was fairly famous, and I'm sort of teasing a future event. This was a 1986 event involving a uh, Japan Airlines cargo aircraft flying over Alaska, where they had an encounter with a UAP. Everyone on board, the all the flight crew witnessed it. It was cargo, so it was only the three of them. It was seen on radar by the FAA. The FAA had a fairly extensive analysis of all the data, radio traffic, radar, etc., and according to an FAA official who has been speaking publicly about this for almost, what, 35 years, there was a meeting that happened with, among other people, the CIA. The CIA said, oh, we'd like to collect everything that's in this room that you're bringing us here today. Apparently, he had copies of everything back in his office somewhere. And he's been talking about that for years, saying, look, now we had this, we had this, we had radar, we had air traffic control conversations, we had military, they saw this, that, and the other. So... There was a case where something happened. By the way, the Japanese captain who spoke publicly about this was grounded for like a year by the airline, not because he did anything wrong, because procedurally speaking, he was by the book during this encounter, called air traffic control, had help coming in from the military, whatever the case may be. He did nothing wrong from, a, from an aviation perspective. He did something wrong in 1986 from the telling tales out of school perspective. And again, that's changing, but not not fast enough. Yes, well, fascinating stuff, and we will we will follow it to see where it goes. Because now that it's out in the open, maybe we'll we'll have some more interesting events to talk about. And with that, I have a very very short next to last word. In my flying career, uh, as a pilot, as a flight test engineer, hanging around airports, I have never ever seen anything that would even come close to being a UAP. Now, have I heard stories? Yes. Me personally, never experienced any of this in my professional aviation or private aviation career. No, I have I. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a fun new podcast called So There I Was. If you're a fan of aviation or simply enjoy hearing captivating stories, then this is the podcast for you. Hosted by former Marine pilots Fig and Repeat, this podcast shares first-hand accounts of flying experiences that will have you on the edge of your seat. Whether you're in the mood for something funny, scary, poignant, or tragic, this podcast has it all. With a relaxed and conversational tone, the pilots share their stories like you're sitting right there with them at the bar after a flight. Hear from fighter pilots, astronauts, Blue Angels, aircraft carrier captains, Navy and Coast Guard rescue pilots, and many more. Most have survived near-death experiences. Others have overcome incredible disabilities to continue to fly airplanes. You'll hear about heart-pumping moments in the cockpit, hilarious screw-ups during flights, insane hijinks off-duty, and the challenges pilots routinely face. Hear what it feels like to be shot off the bow of a carrier or into space. Experience the terror of landing on a pitching deck on a night so black that the pilot can barely taxi afterwards because his legs are shaking so badly. Hear firsthand how lonely it is to be in the middle of the ocean in a life raft on a dark night in eight-foot seas. Each story is unique and told with a level of detail that will make you feel like you were there. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll laugh until you cry. But one thing is certain, 
you won't be bored. So there I was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. And the last word today, I want to, I want to reach out to one of our uh, listeners who emailed me. And I just happened to read it today. The About the pilots and their walk around that I'm always preaching about at the end of the show. And he was in the trucking industry and he talked about the training that they give to truck drivers about looking their rig over. So uh, do pilots get that kind of training? Yes, they do. And Todd, you, you and I have had conversations about your return to flight and what your flight instructor has instructed you to look at for the airplane. So the flight instructor will convey to the student pilot things to look at on that particular airplane doesn't necessarily fully apply to another type of airplane. And when you transition, you may not get a very detailed level of training on what to look for. And that's why I often say that uh, if you're not familiar with your airplane, it's a new airplane, or you're not comfortable with what you're looking at because you're doing it uh, from your gut, to get a mechanic or somebody that works on that airplane regularly and ask them to tell you what to look for. You know, I've worked accidents where the, the cause of the accident was obviously something that was loose that should have been picked up on a, on a walk around and wasn't. So uh, that stuff is very important. Unfortunately, it's not where it has to be. And we have, we have companies now that are, well, not just now, they've been in business for a while, but they're slowly getting traction about walk-arounds on airplanes and what you do for a checklist inside the cockpit before you leave with today's avionics and, and uh, the interior of the airplane has changed. I mean, I know that that uh, I started flying years and years ago, with, and I, I can hear Greg's voice in my ear about going to school with Oval and Wilbur <laughs> uh, but it was all round gauges, all steam gauges. So it was pretty much the same when every airplane you went into. But today with all glass cockpits and, you know, all these proprietary systems between the different manufacturers, it can be a challenge. And that's the electronic side. What shouldn't be a challenge is outside the airplane, the mechanical side. And that's where the failures have happened in the past that have caused problems. So, yes, uh, we do get some training for our pilots, but it's not where it needs to be. So, in the last word, I will still say, if you're going to go flying, plan ahead. Plan before you even leave your house or apartment or hotel to go to the airport. Go over it again when you're at the airport. Recheck things like the weather. When you go out to your airplane, do a good pre-flight. And, uh, you know, I I keep coming back and talking to people. There was a, a major flaw found in one of our general aviation airplanes because one pilot routinely, when he went out to the airplane, rather aggressively shook the wing of his airplane. And after years and years, one day he shakes the wing of the airplane, and it's different. And it's different than what he had before. And that ended up in, big, in a big deal when they dug into the airplane and found the attach points uh, between the wing and the fuselage had corroded and deteriorated to the point where it was going to come apart at some point in time. And it caused inspections and uh, a lot of activity. 
So please learn how to do a good pre-flight on the airplane if you're flying. Do it rigorously every single time. When you get into the airplane, do with the proper cockpit checks. You know, I'm looking at some recent events on the airports. I've got, we've got airplanes in the last month. A couple of them that taxied into other airplanes or fuel pumps at the airport. I mean, those kinds of accidents should not happen. They just shouldn't happen. If you're paying attention, doing it, the thing, you know, are you in such a rush that your head's down and you're moving the airplane? I mean, really. But after you get in the airplane, put that head on a swivel, you know, both on the ground and in flight. In flight, the risks are high today because we have so many, many student pilots who can make mistakes. That's the whole purpose of being a student pilot, either with an instructor or, or without the instructor. You're learning the, the ropes, so to speak, and flying, and mistakes happen. So please, please, we are our brother's keeper in this business. Put your head on a swivel. Look around. Make sure that you're not flying into somebody else's accident. And please, please fly safely. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.